The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Fold is brought to you by O-Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Kia ora koutou, welcome to The Fold. This isn't the voice you're expecting to hear, I'm sure, but let me explain. My name is Jane Yee. I'm head of podcasts at The Spin-Off, and I'm a longtime friend of Duncan Greaves. And the reason I'm doing Duncan's job on today's episode is because as series producer of The Fold, I really couldn't let the announcement of his resignation as CEO of the spinoff go without bringing him in as a guest on the country's favourite media podcast. But of course, the problem is, while Duncan can absolutely smash out a monologue, we thought self-interviewing might be a wee step too far. So here I am as a weird sort of um, proxy for, for host Duncan so he can be guest Duncan. Um, I've known Duncan since we met through mutual university friends in the late 90s, which seems like a very long time ago, probably because it was. And we immediately hit it off. Over the years, we've not only been friends, but we've also worked as contemporaries in the local music industry. Our work together started properly when he first launched the spin-off, a little TV blog that Lightbox took a punt on and uh, was run more or less on the smell of an oily rag, uh, wholly by Duncan Grieve and Alex Casey to begin with. Um, At the time, I was and still am completely obsessed with reality TV, and I begged him to let us do a recap podcast of the country's first ever season of The Bachelor together. Um, And The Real Pod, our reality TV and pop culture podcast, was born and has been battling on now for eight years. In that time, that podcast hasn't changed much, but the spinoff has morphed from that wee tally blog into one of the country's largest and most respected independent media companies and all under the direction of Duncan Grieve. I'm biased. I'll just put that out there right now. But Duncan is a force. He's someone who dreams really big. He wants to press the button on things yesterday. He's forever innovating, coming up with the next greatest thing that's going to make a huge impact. He's obsessed with the media, business, pop culture, and He works harder than anyone I've ever met. Um, His heart beats for this company, uh, the company he accidentally built, um, but it also beats for the people who work here. He's a true future thinker. He's not afraid to challenge people or ideas, and he's tenacious as hell when he has a vision. And these are all personality traits that you want in a CEO, right? But if I'm honest, there are elements of Duncan's personality that are completely discordant with such a role. His passion runs so deep, it can be hard for him to keep out of the weeds if the day-to-day running of the business. He's in the back end of the site tweaking and fiddling. He's listening to every podcast, reading every article, watching every second of video and scouring commercial contracts. He's keeping across member signups. He's bloody checking where the coffee levels are at, for crying out loud. And, and all of that is great. It really is. But along with the high-end business stuff that's involved with being a CEO, it's a goddamn lot. And all of this at a time that's been really, really rocky for media and for someone who's kind of learning it all as he goes. And this is 
all before we take into account the fact he has a family uh, who want and need him around, and obviously that's very important also. As you'll hear in our chat, Duncan, he ran out of puff, and he's also the first to admit perhaps he didn't do the job of CEO as well as someone else could. It's a really fascinating conversation that covers how the spin-off went from Tallyblog, as I've said, to a proper grown-up media entity, all under the leadership of someone who's learning as he goes, and hiring a lot of people who are willing to do the same. And you'll see from our chat what I've known about Duncan for the 20-odd years I've known him, and what anyone who's ever dealt with Duncan knows. He's a very honest and real person who acknowledges when he's got things wrong, and his approach to this conversation is no different. So I know you're going to enjoy this one. Here's Duncan Grieve on The Fold. Duncan. Kia ora, Jane. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. I feel quite bad for sort of, even though this was actually Samuel's idea, I still, that there's still some kind of weird guilt about making it all about me, um, even Look, more so than usual. The other option was to have you interview yourself, so I, I think this is probably, uh, you know, a good halfway point. It's the least worst, yeah. How does it feel being in the guest chair? Uh, I like it. It's just good to have a, have a chat with you, you know, we don't, we don't get to do this enough. <laughs> For those who don't know, Duncan and I have a regular weekly podcast recapping reality television, but that's not what we're here to do today. We're here to talk about you and your big news that you are standing down as CEO of the spin-off. And it came as a surprise to literally everybody, um, except a couple of people who were in the know. But we had a meeting uh, just the side of the weekend, and you stood up, announced the news, and no one saw it coming. Really? Yeah. I thought I was radiating weirdness for like months on end. <laughs> so maybe we'll go back to the beginning and then we'll talk about your your decision. Okay. Okay? So tell me first of all how the spin-off started. I mean, I, I never intended to start it is the, is the weird thing. Um, my friend Kerry ann who went on to be the spin-off's GM for a while um, and still very close friend of mine, was working at Lightbox, which was the you know, one of the first sort of streaming uh, TV platforms in New Zealand. And they had this amazing catalogue of shows and not a lot of sort of new stories to tell. And I was working as a freelancer at the time and, and was just sort of chatting with her over like a rosé and just said, you should have some editorial content um, packaged around that and and that kind of would give it, you know, put that into show, social channels and it would give your show some talkability. Um, I, I thought it was literally just that and then she took that to work and their CEO liked the idea, workshopped it. I wrote like a little paper explaining why this was all like, oh, I'm a consultant now it seems. You know, <laughs> this is very fancy. This is much better money than, than being a uh, sort of a magazine freelancer. And we got quite a long way and I was intending just to sort of set it up and then let them run it but then – Sparks lawyers got involved quite near the end and uh, just basically said that your contracts don't allow you to do this light box. Uh, you'd have these crazy approvals. And um, and I remember this one. There are so many moments which I which I just seared into my brain where like my colossal naivety in starting this business was, was made clear. But of me just sort of trying to explain about fair use. All these concepts which A, don't exist in New Zealand and B, have no relevance to this. <laughs> but um, the upshot of it was they said, why don't you go and start a media platform and we'll just sponsor it? You know, basically outsource the idea. And 
I I sort of thought uh, I guess that sort of fit in with, with fits in with what else I'm doing. I was writing Dan Carter's book at the time. I was doing some like press releases and feature writing for Metro, and I was like, it's just another thing that I can put into my um, what I'm up to. And so that that was where it all started. It, like I say, it was an accident. It really was. I never intended to do it, and yet here we are. You know, eight years on. But you weren't alone. You actually kicked things off with Alex Casey, a young writer. How did you find her? Uh, so Alex has been really, really instrumental to the spin-off, both in terms of defining its voice and uh, and giving it a you know a sense of of being a place for new writers, which is something I always wanted it to be. Um, so I guess, you know, you know, I'd been reading a lot of, you know, things like Grantland and, um, Vulture and a lot of the places which were publishing really cool writing, uh, online. And I felt like there was a whole bunch of people who were also freelancing that I thought could write for the spin-off, but I wanted there to be like this one new voice, um, that would kind of feel like it was connected to the current internet moment or the then current internet moment. And so I just started reading like, this is an era when a lot of people had little blogs and, you know, a funny Twitter account could be sort of a good signal, you know, and that's probably still the case, but it feels like a lot more sort of formalized now in terms of the channels. And I found this little blog called The the Filminist, terrible name, <laughs> on flex.co.nz uh, where Alex was writing these like, Amazing, amazingly funny analyses of Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings, or like you know, like Matt Damon movies, and she would just do like little speech bubble kind of meme things, and it was like this, but it was just such an incredible voice. And I hit her up on Twitter, asked her to follow me. It was all very tense. Um, met up with for, with her for coffee, and was like, "Do you want to?" just try this thing out and um, I think we were paying her like $500 a week or some terrible kind of thing and she was like yeah I'll give that a go I think she was like working in a movie theater at the time and basically never looked back he was just like instantly brilliant and instantly people who sort of were paying attention to kind of new and interesting writing were like oh my gosh and then you know the uh, we, we we started a podcast together, uh, the three of us. Um, you know, she wrote, she started power ranking the Bachelor, but those were our first smash hit pieces, and suddenly it felt like we had an identity, and so much of that was was Alex's voice. You know, even you know, if you like, we've had a lot of funny writers over the years. Um, our current editor, Mad Chapman, is, is a tremendously funny writer. Um, you know, Callum Henderson, Hay Hayden Donnell, Toby Manhire, former editor of the site, also super funny. And I think the fact that it was a place that naturally allowed for that because because Alex had kind of set the table meant that those people, A, were attracted to, to write for it uh, and, and B, felt like there was a, a breadth of available uh, sort of real estate that you could that you could operate in and and I think that you know that's been really crucial to sort of differentiating ourselves because I don't think you know we consider ourselves a magazine but everything looks the same online it's one of the curses of the of the telephone as the delivery mechanism so how do you show people that you're different from the Herald or stuff or any other kind of New Zealand made writing that you find. And I think having a sense of humor was really crucial to that. So what, what is this magazine thing? Like how, you know, for a layman looking uh, on their phone at the Herald or stuff or the spinoff, it's words on a screen. So how 
is the spin-off a magazine versus your regular media site? I mean, because I came up through magazines, you know, I, I used to edit a, a music magazine, always subscribed to, wrote for, read magazines as the primary media that I consumed. And, you know, I think that they're, they're a really special thing that they, the total volume, you know, the, what defines a magazine is greater length, greater detail. They work slower. They work more specialized in terms of their scope. Uh, there is, they're, they're, less frequency, they just, you know, often will have a sense of style, they care a lot more about design and imagery, all these things which I hope are, are manifest in in the spin-off um, versus a newspaper much more fast-paced, uh, much more sort of, you know, the newspapers are amazing. I, I love them, consume them, subscribe to them. It's just not what the spin-off is. It's not what the spin-off is. And so we were trying to build something that had those qualities on a, you know, on a digital delivery platform so you have to work with what you have around design I also felt like actually podcasting which we got into relatively early was really crucial in that in terms of you know having conversations having a sense of humor being able to go deep and digressive that was so crucial to saying here is our voice you know, our, literally here are our voices which you know at the time News sites were were very much focused on on text as as their vehicle, and uh, so so yeah, th these are the tra signals you try and put out. But it remains quite difficult for people, I think, to understand their head, especially where they're sent to you through social media. A story kind of looks like a story, no matter how beautifully mm. it's it's designed in some respects. Mm. It's interesting hearing you talking about. Uh, you know, your plans and your vision for the site and podcasting and all these things and finding this gap in the market when in reality what you did was accidentally start a little tally blog. So how soon was it that you started thinking bigger? Like quite quickly. And again, that might have been a function of having Alex just sort of hold the um, the day-to-day -day of the site. Um, I realised like I loved the business side, like I've always been really interested in business writing, always read a lot of books about business, um, not kind of how-to type things, but generally like, you know, uh, the smartest guys in the room, like the story of Enron or like basically business disasters, but they're, they're fascinating and you get a sense of the stakes involved and the personalities involved and the risk tolerance you have to have. And, um, you know, I've, people in my family have started businesses and um, so on. And, and so I guess... I didn't. I never imagined it for myself, but then as soon as I was doing it, I was like, "Oh, I'm kind of into this." This is not something everyone can do, Duncan. I mean, I know you mentioned <laughs> you you have the privilege of access to people in your family who have started businesses, so you've got access to some guidance and knowledge from them. Um, but not everyone has the accidental nous that you have, and the drive and the passion uh, to make something like this grow and grow and grow. Also, when it's so, I don't know, initially at least, there's not a real plan involved, you know, so you're involving it, you're not, it's not something you set out to do originally is to create this multi-headed media beast. No. What is it about you? Uh, I don't know. I, I uh, you know, uh, the, I don't think it's, a, I mean, look, I think that what's in me is in a few people. That's honestly one thing that I would, I wish I would love to kind of say to people is like if you've 
if you have even the faintest hint of an itch, it's not a crazy idea to kind of, if you can sort of engineer your life, and it feels like it's easier and easier now with people's tolerance for working from home and freelancing and kind of, you know, kind of three-day-a-week jobs to like start a little thing and see how it feels, you know? Because I, I didn't know that about me and then um, I found out that I liked it. And so, yeah, but to, to return to your question, basically partway through the first year, um, just started to think, well, this thing that we've done narrowly focused on television, uh, that that fundamental idea of trying to find a, a partner who will fund a different vertical, we'll give them some, you know, it was a huge, we'd, we never wanted to do CPM-based advertising. That means the kind of display advertising that you see on other sites. We wanted to, we thought that our great skill was writing stories, so we should write stories about your brand. And then when we weren't doing that, we were writing whatever we wanted. And that was always the deal with, with our um, partners. But I thought that that idea could work in other verticals you know so I think on year one we basically relaunched with a redesigned site with politics run by Toby Manhire, parenting run by Emily Wrights, uh, Steve Brownius was doing books, uh, I think you know Callum might have been doing sports like that we it was like a massive expansion in scope and we did that on our first birthday and I still don't really know how we did that because most of those things had a sponsor or other so I had to sell in all those things and recruit the writers and do that and get the site redesigned and built and do that all with a, a staff of two for a, to do it on a single day and you know I remember we just I think I worked like 24 hours straight um went home for a, about 40 minutes sleep and then came back because we'd also rented this giant office in Britomar like looking back the the naivety uh, you know that sort of beginner's mind of just rocking up to people and being like hey we think this is a cool idea you know we were sending word docs as pictures you know like it was just like the stupid audacity and and yet it worked and and i think that big bang explosion of of getting all these kind of name brand writers and some so grateful for those brands to support us uh and and just kind of saying we're here and we're going to give this a real crack. That that was a sort of a signal to the market, both in terms of commercial and for audiences, that this was more than what it initially presented as. You guys were doing a lot of work for not a lot of money. Yeah, it was that's the other thing. There were so many people who were willing to, you know, use some small, you know, whether it was, you know, I think Toby had a few hours spare and, you know, basically there was there was this idea that you could kind of you know, if you've got some smaller part of your week uh, that um, that you can give it a crack. It's weird now as well because those were like all incredible writers and yet it didn't feel like there was much demand for incredible writing at the time. You know, the magazines were all shrinking and in frequency and in terms of budgets and the newspapers hadn't yet sort of figured out that this like bomb of interesting writing was good for their stuff too. It seems like a different time because, of course, now... Now it's really hard and expensive to find good, <laughs> good writing talent, yeah. And it's like that thing where you don't know what you want and need until you get it sometimes, right? And so having this incredible writing pop up on this this little site, a lot of people were really hungry for it and, like, this is what we've been looking for even though we didn't know we were looking for it. And you've managed to build this company um, by giving a lot of people chances who other people wouldn't necessarily hire in a particular role. 
And I use myself as, as an example because we've been friends a long time. We've been doing a podcast together. Might make sense that I come in and, and you know, run the podcast department given my extensive history in podcasting. But actually, I remember coming to you and we were ha- having a job interview and you were like talking about CPM and I was like, what's CPM? Like that sticks so firmly in my mind the moment I was like, there's no way Duncan's going to put me in this role. I don't know what CPM means. But and I, you, you explain it to me. <laughs> but I mean, that, that I think you're a classic example of how fortunate we've been. Because, you know, I have fired a bunch of my friends. In fact, another one is, is Amber Easby, who's just taken over running the business. Um, so, yeah, I had a bunch of talented friends. But also, I think because my whole experience of the business was not knowing anything, like I didn't know what a media agency was, and I didn't know that they were by far the biggest kind of gatekeepers to... And not, I don't mean that in a bad way, that, that they just control where the money goes. You know, sure. A lot of brands don't necessarily know where they're going to spend, so they hire someone else to tell them where to spend it. And it took me years before I found that out, that really important, very basic fact. Uh, and so I'm like, if I can basically just roll into this thing colossally naive and it can work out that uh, that I actually don't think that's a negative. I think if you've got someone who's really driven and dedicated and smart and cool, um, that you can figure this stuff out. And actually not knowing how things work means that you can innovate. And that's what I think we have done reasonably well as a group is by being, I've always thought of us as as outsiders for the most part, and often the people who thrived here have been there, uh, that that's been what's driven the, the growth and um, the, the sort of singular identity of the spin-off is, is it's, it's people who weren't already in the tent who were just kind of keen to get in or, or make something new. So you've started this business, which you didn't really even mean to necessarily start. Like, did you have a vision of what ultimately you wanted it to be or were you just looking six months ahead at every point? I think I knew I want, that I wanted it to what a, what voice I wanted it to have and uh, what sort of demographic I wanted it to appeal to um, or, or psychographic, actually. that We always talked about that over a demographic. A lot of media is targeted at a demographic mm. because that's what an advertiser wanted, wants to reach. We, again, naively thought, well, if it's a, just a group of people who see the world a particular way, have a particular sense of humour or, or values that you know, that should be valuable to advertisers too. I still think that's true. But, but how hard is it to do that? In a, you know, the advertising industry is a very traditional one. Um, demographics, as you say, is their, their kind of key point of focus. And here you are trying to sell a psychographic. Yeah. But, you know, there are, there are people all throughout our society, all throughout different roles, who are also frustrated by the way things are. And that's how any kind of change happens. And so you press and you probe and you, you know, kind of <laughs> follow a vibe and uh, and you, you know, read interviews with people. And you, whenever you sense that someone's trying to do something different, you're like, well, they might want to do something different with us. And that's really been the story of it. They're a, like a relatively small group of people who've worked at a number of sort of big New Zealand organisations who've basically seen the spin-off, understood its function, and as they've moved to different jobs, have set up different kind of uh, relationships with us. Because they're not expensive by the standards of the overall industry. We remain, you know, in terms of our total revenues, 
you know, just a tiny proportion mm. of um, what a Stuff or, or Herald would be. So you can do things which are really fun and interesting and different much more cheaply than you can at the big shops. And also then you've got this relationship with your partners, your commercial partners, which is really different to anything they've seen before. So you're talking about partnering with people, whether it be an organisation that is willing to take a risk or a particular individual who's responsible for, you know, making these decisions at an organisation, willing to take a risk on the spin-off. Uh, and that's, that's cool. And, you know, that's like an amazing thing, I think, that is unique to this business. And I think there's probably more, you know, little companies doing the same thing. And I feel like, you know, I don't want to blow smoke up your ass, but I feel like, you know, you've paved the way a lot. I see the spin-offs influence not just in writing, but in the way that business is done in media. I mean, that, that's very kind and, and I'm very sweating right now. But, uh, you know, I, I do feel like a kinship with like a, a generation of New Zealand businesses that have sort of set up probably with a similar kind of naivety, you know, like if you're thinking like we, we're just ab above Arepa, the, you know, the, the sort of brain drink. And God, we love that stuff too. <laughs> I do. And, you know, like. The, the audacity of them to go against, like, V, which is owned by, like, Suntory or something, you know, like, and we'll just, like, create a whole new segment of the market or, uh, you know, like, picks peanut butter or, you know, I mean, I don't know why I'm picking these, these <laughs> like, like, food brands or food and drink brands. But, you know, there are just versions of it, of them all over the country who I think that they're... Starting a business used to feel like super scary. Well, certainly for me, it was like the business meant 3,000 people and a tower in downtown um, Auckland, or it meant like a lawnmower shop in the suburbs. And it didn't feel like there was anything in between. And that's been the sort of, I guess, a bit of the story of this decade is, is these kind of little shops starting up, but with with some ambitions and and. Uh, having a crack at it and I, I like that sort of feeling of, you know it's largely unspoken you, we cover them a bit you meet them at times but that just sense of again like you're just trying to do something new and I, you know I should say that like stuff and the Herald and TVNZ and all the, the really big media companies have actually been tremendously kind to us particularly given that we've been little shits about some of their products and people at various times you know and I think that says that they know that uh, while they perform a very important role, uh, innovating and, and challenging is is hard. And even when we're a pain in the ass, like sometimes that's kind of what's needed to, to push things forward. And there's been a bunch of other really interesting media startups out of this country as well, you know, from... You know, newsroom to uh, to tangata to shit you should care about. And, you know, I could go on and on. Like there's... there's this is a very dynamic environment. We're hardly alone um, in that. Mm. And you do have such a good relationship, it seems. Like you, you host a media podcast, not today, but in general, you host a media podcast and you manage to get all these people and some of whom, you know, you've challenged at points on the site um, and they all come in. They're all quite happy to come in and have a arm with Duncan Grieve. How do you... I mean, I feel like I know how you do it because I... Am on the outside looking in, and I just think that you're a very passionate. Uh, you're very generous with your with your time and your knowledge, um, and I think you're a very real person, which goes a really really long way. 
But in your mind, what is your relationship with these people? If you're talking about like the the people in leadership roles at the big organizations, I'm sure that they have been through various stages with with me or, or with the spin-off and you know at times really admired it at times being like what you're you know like what the hell are you doing um and at times thought and honestly we have been quite, quite mean-spirited at, at times like mm. it's almost in very inevitable when you're publishing at volume that you get things wrong and we definitely have got things wrong multiple times but hopefully people have seen that we are trying to do something that we are passionate about media that we want to create our own lane um you know discover new land rather than move in on someone else's and i think people you know in big or small organizations at a fundamental level if you take away the identities and if you just describe that they they are rooting for it, you know, because, you know, that's people like new things. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out-of-home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Speaking of new things, you have a background in journalism, right? And you were editor of the site, but also you have a passion for business. And so you would think something like the spin-off, where it's a combination of both those things would be a dream come true for you. It's like the perfect job, right? You've got the ability to write and to kind of mentor other writers and work with writers you admire but also you get to dig your teeth into running a business. So what was it like going from, I mean, you, the thing is, you didn't really go from being an editor and journalist to running a business. They were all happening at the same time, right? Yeah, for the first four years, it was it was sort of both those things. I mean, I had tremendous support, you know, people like um, Kerry Ann, like uh, Mark Keller, Simon Day, Ellie Rivera, uh, over the years, you know, in those kind of non-journalistic uh, roles, absolutely crucial to our, you know, growth and and as as a business, and that kind of, you know, I think that that allowed me to do those two things at, at once. You know, to continue to write, which I I don't think I could have kept doing it without. Um, continue to make media because it kind of keeps you in the game, um, but also. They all had that sort of um, beginner's mind and willingness to, to to learn as well, and you know, absolutely, same same goes with you, Jane. Like, I think that there's just a group of us who've done this thing together, and um, you know, aren't all uh, necessarily here still, but um, I think there's a kinship that we all share that about um, having having done it, and and I'll definitely have forgotten some really crucial names, but it it, it is like. Uh, I think that 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 was was the most um, crucial part, but 
But yeah, I mean, and then the other thing is like the, the nature of the job and every aspect of it has changed so much over the past like three mm. years post COVID. It like it got a lot harder and grindier and more complicated um, and in a myriad of different ways. When I first started at the spin-off, your job title was founder and publisher. And at some point you sort of sheepishly agreed to take on the title of CEO. I don't really know what a CEO does. Tell me what a CEO does. I mean, honestly, I don't either. Like, I've got no business call. Like, the only qualifications I have is a BA and I don't even know what history and sociology and then a grad dip in journalism. Um, so all I know of business I've learned by doing or by watching slash reading. So, but, but, you know, to me, that the job was sort of leading the organisation and trying to kind of see things before they they happen and and move you know move it in, in such a way that it was prepared to follow. What you know, it's been a, an incredibly destabilising decade mm. in media. You know, the 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 sucking of revenues to uh, global digital. Uh, search and social platforms is just unbelievable um, that the the power and strength of that and so a lot of the time you're really just figuring out how to you know and they have content they have amazing content and their content costs are zero you know your content costs are very high as a proportion of your revenue so like the, it, it, on some level if you really look at it you're like there's a reason why there are literally no analysts in New Zealand at, at any of the big uh, sort of market making financial firms that analyze media because they don't think it's a real business, which is like <laughs> cool. Um, but so, you know, that, that's the sort of the backdrop to it. So, a lot of the time it was, and, and, you know, about trying to figure out where things were going and where there was opportunity for us to kind of continue, sustain, and grow. But there's day-to-day involved as well, though, right? Yeah. Like it's all big strategy stuff that kind of you were doing even without the title of CEO. So what what did being CEO bring into your day that was different? I mean, and, and well, a lot of it, I think, is, is often like a sort of an external thing. So it, it is relationships with people who might prove to be partners or, or have kind of crucial roles to play in your business. Honestly, over the last three years, it's a lot of government relations kind of work, mm-hmm. you know, talking to, the, you know, they're making very impactful legislation, making decisions about what, you know, how they can sort of support or, or challenge the industry and you have to be at that table, otherwise it just happens to you. But if I'm honest, Jane, I really mean this, I'm not just saying it, I don't think I was particularly good at the job of being CEO. I think once the company evolved beyond a certain scale and it was less, you know, there were sort of managers and, and it was less about just kind of core personal relationships, I I struggled to know what that next step was like around sort of setting up structures and making people feel like they were both accountable and and um, supported and all those kind of things that I think I can do that on an interpersonal level but not in a structured way. And uh, I think my continued inability to evolve into that kind of person, because I don't think I ever really did the CEO role in um, – in the way that you know a, a true CEO would would naturally do it, uh, that was first subliminally and then kind of explicitly uh, weighing on me, and that's you know ultimately why you know when 
the idea of, of Amber taking over, just knowing the qualities that she had uh, and the way that she operated, it was like, oh, this this could work tremendously well. And and even in my you know my new role, I'm the vast bulk of my time will be writing, podcasting, and and so on. But you know, I, I remain chair of our board, or I'm moving to become chair of our board, and you know. I think I'll still be able to do a lot of that kind of future gazing type stuff that I have done before, but then it will be someone else's job to actually put that into a process that brings people with them rather than, you know, has has thing, has the work happen to them in ways that I think I probably didn't realize. I was just like, this is all really fun. And I think for some people it was like, yeah, this is pretty fun. This thing over here is really traumatic and <laughs> why are you doing that to me? And I feel terrible about that. I genuinely do. Do you have any apprehension about uh, relinquishing control? And I don't mean that in a control freak kind of a way. I mean that more in the sense of the spinoff is synonymous with Duncan Grieve maybe not in the wider audience, but certainly I think in, you know, in our local media industry um, and indeed for everyone who works at the spit-off, you know, is handing it over to someone else and Amber is incredible and I have absolutely zero doubt she's going to do an amazing job. But for someone like you who has always been involved in the weeds, you're in every single Slack channel, anyone in the company feels like that they can come and talk to you about anything. Um, and there is going to be a shift away from that with you moving on from that role. And I guess there's, you're going to be uh, on staff and looking on and seeing the decisions that Amber makes. And I have no doubt she's not going to misstep. Oh, she probably will here in the end, actually, to, to be know, fair. That's impossible not to. But when those things happen, like how, how is that going to be for you? This is like a lot of stuff you have to take on board before making a big decision like this. I mean, I'm going to miss step two, you know, like I, I don't doubt that there will be moments, whether it's just through kind of muscle memory or, uh, you know, my own weird personality, I'll kind of keep doing old things when I should be doing, when I should know to uh, stay out of them. Um, but I don't. There's a thing which I think you sometimes see with CEOs, like Bob Iger returning to run Disney is quite, is to me quite an interesting example of that. You know, he ran it incredibly well for like 16 years. They had a really orderly succession process for uh, Bob Shapik to take over, and then we're like, I think like maybe three years in, and he comes back to to run it again. And Bob Iger's incredible, like all time, uh, you know. Hall of Fame uh, media executive. But I think there was some sense that he was just sort of watching what was happening and kind of couldn't keep himself away from the tools. I'm cautiously optimistic I'll be able to avoid that, I think, because, like I said, I don't think I was that great at, at it once at a quite a particular scale. Um, I think because Amber and I are very close and she came into the role with eyes very wide open. You know, we'd, I talked her through the whole time I was doing it. We weren't succession planning, but I don't think you could have run a much better process had you been. And so, you know, and I, and I just trust her a lot. I mean... And we all do. Like, that's the thing is I think the moment that you said you were stepping down, there was the shock of that. And then in the room immediately, 
Like, first of all, I was like, oh, God, please have appointed Amber. That was honestly, genuinely oh, that's so the first cool. thing in my mind. But and, also, and the thundering applause <laughs> when we announced was, like, quite overwhelming. And and, the, and it was sustained. It was really sustained. Really like In a way going. that I'm sure I've never witnessed at the spin-off before. No. Um, which must have made you feel extremely reassured in the decision you'd made. That, that sustaining, that little moment, I'll never forget because I was like, oh, this is going to be fine. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but was, you know, I mean, was there anyone else you were considering for the role? Because I think in terms of staff, it's really scary to have someone like you step down and handing over to Amber, in my mind, is the most logical thing. We know her, we love her, we know how freaking amazing she is at what she does. We know she operates differently to you, but that's not a bad thing. No offense. No, it's a really good thing. I mean, I'm I'm very genuinely mean. I wasn't that good at like large aspects of the job. But uh, you know, had someone else new been stepping in, the spinoff is such a unique place to try and understand. I mean, like I, when I talked to you know, I'd sort of idly contemplated aspects of it, um, but really not not that deeply. But at various times, I talked to various people about you know how. I would manage it, and and this, and they would sort of say maybe you just need a really professional kind of media CEO who's done a bunch of things to to come in, and that might well have worked. But I think because, as you say, it's it's such a specific culture. It's got so many people who've worked together for quite a long time, and and figured things out on on their own and done things a bit differently. That to have someone come in from the outside, it would just take them a very long time mm. to understand that. And if they didn't. You know, even if they thought they knew what they were getting themselves into, there might be just little idiosyncrasies that were quite difficult to to manage. And the, I think that to, like, you know, to pick one random example, like, you know, our our commercial content operation is so different to the way it's run at, at other places where you tend to just supply the copy and. Uh, then it goes up on the, the site. Basically, the client kind of can create it and often has complete control. We, we try and do it really differently. Um, Matt McCauley, who's taken over from Simon Day to, to run that, has had a tremendous role in you know shaping that. And like I think that the it'd be very easy to go, oh, there's just efficiencies here, mm. and 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 that's where I think to have someone who sort of knows why this strange building has been constructed in the way that it has is, is very uh, important and, and helpful to it. Um, you know, there's the, and the business is strewn with that kind of thing, whether it's the, you know, the scale of the art and design department with Tina and Toby or, you know, the, the you know, like the, the podcasting or, or, or technology and all, all the different pieces are there for a reason. That doesn't mean that that uh, they like all like the whole business won't evolve, but it's there for a reason. And I think Amber just really gets that. Mm. And it, I mean, we really are just like a ragtag bunch of misfits, aren't we? I mean, I've used you... that stupid <laughs> phrase so many times. <laughs> it's so true, though. Um, look, Duncan, when you delivered your speech last just a week ago, last Monday. You, it was very Jacinda-esque. There is a personal element to this as well. I mean, for a start, it takes a lot to admit that maybe you're not the very best person for the job. Many people wouldn't. They might realise it but not say it out loud and make up some other excuse. But 
as a friend and a colleague for a long time, you know, you could see there's stuff weighing heavily on you and there was an exhaustion about you and you got up and you delivered the I got no more gas in the tank speech. <laughs> yeah. Are you pissed she got there first? No. I, you know, I, I wrote this in, the, in a piece about it on the site and, um, you know, that, that I actually think it's really helpful to have, like, the literal prime minister um, to stand up and say, I'm, I'm basically fucked, mate. Um, it was very generous of her to do that. It was. For it just created to, space for her to walk for, so you could run, you know? And even on the day that I <laughs> announced my resignation, there were, like, two more re- resignations of, of, of people I sort of know about. And I was like, man, this is... This is gonna. This could be a real uh, movement coming in, and, and you know there were other people. Obviously, there's just like a massive number of texts from people in the media um, or people I've dealt with over the years um, in the aftermath, and so many of them were like, "I'm working on that myself," you know. And some of that's just like at any given time, that's always true. But I do think that doing whatever you hard job you were doing through COVID and then having that go away and it still be hard, I think there's some kind of weird, it's not a hollowness, but it's like quite hard. To, and, and then you're going to, a, you know, what, what we're told is going to be a recession. It's quite hard to pick yourself up at the, at the canvas and just keep running into, um, you know, into the fire. It's just a really mixed metaphor there. But, um, <laughs> and, and it's just, I just feel really, really grateful to, Amber for being not just willing but really excited to take uh, on the job and to everyone else for just seeing that it was time and supporting her with that. So, yeah, just a lucky boy. I've really liked this, Jane. Thanks so much. It hasn't felt as weird as I thought it would and or, or, or so self-indulgent. Um, but, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. It's very hard for me to be objective because, obviously, I adore you and I love what you've done with this. Um, this and I feel safe saying this. Like, who, who feels safe saying this to someone who is no longer their boss but certainly was until very recently? Like, this silly little business that you've made, like to be able to call it a silly little business um, and that be somehow a compliment, you know. It's, we just, we treasure you. You've done an incredible job and we are going to miss um, your your craziness at the helm. Um, but so, so pleased that you are still such an integral part of the spinoff because ugh, we'd be all lost at sea without you, Dunk. Oh, we Jane, <laughs> that's way too much. Do you want to have a little last minute members message? Um, in the very least, yeah, okay, okay. I mean, that's a huge part, and we never it, got to it. It is, it is. They actually like both changed and saved the business. Uh, you know, the, the, when COVID hit, we the whole thing just went from being entirely funded by commercial revenue to being probably over half um, coming from our members. And I think the thing about members again like that could be one of my mistakes that I've made is that we just said it was basically on a voluntary basis you pay what you can uh, you can donate as a one-off or uh, or in an ongoing basis but you know which is not how a business could be run businesses need to be able to raise prices because wages go up all the time mm. and you know if if people stop donating they shouldn't get the product you know but we're all like, well, the, once the product's made, the more people who see it, the better. So the whole fundamental idea of members that you pay to support a thing that you love so that as many people as possible can see it is really quite radical in the context of the way that uh, business businesses typically operate. Um, and 
it was really validating through the early stages of COVID to see that come up. If I'm honest, it's, it is a bit scary lately because a lot of people, because they're going through their own cost of living crisis, uh, have, have you know, either shrunk or, or cancelled their memberships. And we still have a bunch of people supporting us. But I think for people who are listening who get something out of what the spinoff is, whether it's the, po- the podcast network, uh, you know, whether it's the writing, whether it's our, our videos or, or you know, they love the side eye, whatever it is, you know, to, it is a hard thing to make happen. There's 30 people here and there's like literally thousands of freelancers we work, we've worked with over the years. So if you want to support us and can, can afford to in these wild times, uh, yeah, go to members.thespinoff.co.nz and, and show us. Imagine a world without a spinoff and maybe that will help encourage you to, to, um, to donate if you can because I think in these wild times is, this, is, is when we need it most, right? Like, you know, yeah, whether so. it be for like proper in-depth analysis or just a light funny to help get you through, you know, um, I think that when you want to be informed when it's an election year, there's, you know, states of emergencies, the cost of living crisis, the housing market's doing God knows what. It's quite and floody. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of information to take board and I mean, you know, I think we're the best people to provide that information. Thank you, Duncan. I don't, I don't Duncan. know if that's true, but, but uh, we're certainly <laughs> some people to provide that information. Thank you for so much, For a certain Jane. psychographic, of that's course. That's right, for a certain psychographic. And if you're still here, then you are that psychographic. Thank you so much, Duncan, for joining me on your podcast. It's been a real treat. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Thank you, Samuel, for recording. The Fold is brought to you by the Spinoff Podcast Network. It's hosted by Duncan Grieve with production by Tiahe Butler and Samuel Robinson. Series production is by Jane Yee. That was The Fold, brought to you by our partners at O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to O Media for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Kia ora e te iwi, Tiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.